Hello, 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 hello. Good morning. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday. Sussex Squad Nation. And oh my goodness, guys. What a week. How are you, Charles? How are you? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Oh my God. George, what about you? How are you? What is going on? What's going on in your guys' life? What's happening? Oh my God. What's not going on? It's so busy. So busy, but so good. And honestly, I think, well, just to get right to the point, thank you so much again to everybody because that support that we got over this past week after the last show, over the last two weeks, everything, it's honestly, it's, it's we still can't even really believe it. It's, um, it's, it's truly humbling and it just makes us feel so, uh, so good and so happy to be a part of this community. So thank you again, everyone. Wow. Yeah, well say. Um, Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And then also we are just slam packed. So I can also concur. Uh, there's a lot going on. So just not only just for ourselves, but also our big boy H is also doing a lot these days. So just to give a quick rundown of in terms of what things are going on at the moment. But uh, what we know of anyway is that he has a virtual event that he's going to discuss his book spare next month. Uh, it's going to be hosted by Penguin Random House, his publisher. Uh, he also is going to be doing a surprise event, which I don't really understand how it's a surprise event when everyone knows the surprise. So that makes no sense to me. But anyway, he's going to be doing an event <clears throat> with Dr. Uh, Gabor Mate in March. That's going to be appearing on Venmo. So make sure the uh, Vimeo. Vimeo. Thank you. Vimeo. So make sure you guys check that out. Uh, and then also uh, another event taking place on March 7th uh, in San Francisco. There's going to be an immersive summit by Better Up, and it will feature the exchange of ideas and inspirational conversations, delivering unparalleled insights for leaders around talent rec- uh, retention, growth, and how to best enable managers to lead high-performing teams through the current climate of change and uncertainty. You can tell it's totally a press release, but that's completely fine. The man is absolutely busy, and I love it. I love it. But... But um, I will no, say, but though, how, but, the whole, but hold on. But, how does he sleep? How does he sleep? There's no time. How, well, there's only so many hours in the day. Well, I'm, I'm, he found a way. He found a way. Him and but, Megan, the two of them. I don't know how they do it. They are incredible. Um, I must say, guys, well, really thank you um, for you to, to join me um, today. I know you guys are very, very busy you both are extremely really busy with everything that you are doing and you guys, you both are doing incredible work at the moment, uh, work that's going to make a difference um, around the world. Um, hopefully soon, not too soon enough. I can't wait. Um, obviously, I, I, I cannot dispose what you guys are doing at the moment, but I can't wait to be able to be in a place to spread the good word because I think it's um it's gonna change our life not just here but everywhere really um so thank you for that for taking the time so i want to know how do you guys <laughs> when do you guys get time to sleep i know i'm busy i know i don't get any sleep but what about you two well my my thank you by the way thank you for saying that it was very very sweet of you to say uh for me my strategy is not so much focusing on the the number of hours of sleep but really on the number of cups of coffee that i drink that, that's my approach yep okay. yeah i just tend to sneak away and just try and catch sleep when i can that's basically my my thing so it's good um very good but that's enough about us at this point what about you how was your week? 
My week was, it started really, really, really well. I was so happy, overwhelmed of all the messages um, that we were getting. And um, it, it, it was really very sort of overwhelmed for me. Um, I love hearing from everybody. And so it was nice. Then, um, as I continue with my week, then I started feeling bum out. I um, have a lot of uh, conflicting things that was happening. But I also was thinking about Harry and Megan, the amazing work that they were doing. I was also thinking about Diana. Of course, the only one, the only princess of Wales in my book. She will always be queen of heart. So I was thinking about her. I was thinking about Doya, Queen Doya. I was thinking about Archie and Lily. But really what what had me bummed out was that the news media continued to do what what they are doing, you know, sort of, uh, you know, um, just putting garbage nonsense out. It can certainly get you down. You see? That's for sure. And it's like, oh, my God, here we go again type of thing. But I don't have time to think about that, right? Because I had to think about, you know, the good work that Harry and Meghan is doing and how is that impacting people around the world. And then, of course, and a mix of it is as though I feel like God said, okay, there's a reminder for you. This is what you need to focus on. And this happened on MSNBC. They're now joined by Jose Andres, founder of World Central Kitchen, a world-famous chef in Kiev. He's met there with both Biden and Zelensky. Uh, thank you for making time. We see how busy you are, and yet I know you also wanted to share uh, what you're doing. Please tell us about it. Well, we are about to go in the one-year anniversary of the invasion uh, by Russia. World Central Kitchen uh, arrived to the border in Poland uh, 12 hours after the invasion began. We never thought we would be coming into Ukraine. We thought we were going to take care of the refugees right at the border. But obviously the need was very big. And before we knew, we were inside Ukraine feeding also thousands of Ukrainians, mainly elderly, mothers, children, that they were escaping the horrors of war. And with, within days, we were in Lviv. We began moving into other cities. Why? Because we had people living in Ukraine, but at the same time, was a lot of Ukrainians displaced within the country. We began trying to help everybody. We reached 500,000 meals a day. So as you could see, this is what Harry and Meghan is a part of, have introduced us the work, really what's important. People getting fed, people that who, who's been through disastrous situation. And for me, it's a bit, really personal because I know people 
in Turkey. I know I have a very good friend in Turkey, and I was thinking about him. I was thinking about his family. I was thinking about even the restaurants that I go through that I enjoy and the people I come to know and see. And uh, some of those restaurants are there. Some of them are not anymore. But I was thinking about them. I was thinking about their family. And so to see the good work that is being done feeding people, you know, and the fact that, you know, we got to be a part of that, whether it's donated money, whether it's highlighting it, whether just the fact that, you know, we got to see that. And this is where our focus need to be. And I was so moved and happy. It's a reminder why we are all here. Uh, what are we, we here to do? The part that was really bad for me, spat of looking at this amazing work, somehow I find myself feeling a bit insecure, feeling a bit unsure. It's like that insecurity is creeping up. I was really in a good space, you know, sort of maybe two weeks ago, and I was telling this word, I'm ready to do this. It was like, you know what, wow, like I feel like, you know, my insecurities always been washed away and was excited. And all of a sudden I'm having this strange feeling and try to figure out where is that coming from and of course you know I like to talk to God yes this is what I do I'm not gonna apologize about it I like to talk with God you know not because that I'm somehow super religious because you know sort of I don't know it's not like I just I just love God I grew up you know in the church and my mother and and she's an incredible woman and, you know, um, very Catholic. I would not describe myself as Catholic. Um, you know, sort of, I, I'm not even sure what religion I am in. I just know I love God. I love to worship. I love to, I love church, any kind of church. I just love church. I love, I love what um, church stands for. I love, I love it. And I'm, and I'm so happy to have a mom that's, allowed us to believe on whatever it is that we choose to believe in you know um she's not dictating you know sort of you know how you should pray or you know she's not telling you okay you must she's not she wasn't she's not that type of mom you know i mean i have brothers and sisters that believe in god and i have brothers and sisters that who doesn't <laughs> and that's just the way it is in the family and when i looked at um you know, all our families, right? You have people that who believe and there's people that don't. There's people that, like, I mean, what makes us, it, this is what's so beautiful. I'm allowed to be me in some ways like that, to express myself. And and for me, God is, I find refuge in that. So, and, um, so yeah, so I started having a conversation with him. And, um, and I'm like, God, you know, I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling sure of myself at the moment. You know, I'm feeling a bit insecure. And um, because here I am, I think it's fair to say this show has been very successful in the last two weeks. Incredible and getting good response. At least by our standards. By our standard, <laughs> And I'm okay with that. But I feel like 
I'm holding this big secret. And the secret is, is that I don't know how to do this. <laughs> I really don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a preacher, so to speak. I'm not a, um, I don't know. I'm not, uh, I don't think I even, I, 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 I don't know everything, <laughs> so to speak. You know, I feel like my, 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 I mean, guys, you know, I love philosophy and one of my uh, uh, philosopher that I really enjoy reading, I've been reading big books. Why? I don't know. Big books since I was a kid. You know, if, I don't know why, but I love philosophy and even though I didn't study philosophy in school at all, and I find um, Socrates. 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 Of course, Socrates. Of course. I know. I love him. <laughs> and there is a saying, I think there's something, a quote, supposedly by him, I mean, that says, um, the more I know, the more I find out that I know nothing. I know nothing except the fact of my ignorance. That stays with me, even though there is um, huge discussion in the ac academic that says he never say anything like that. That was not what this was about, but somehow it is what it is. But I love it. I love that word. It stays with me and I'm okay. Not know everything. I'm here to be educated. I'm here to be open. And I know even with all that, I still not going to know enough. <laughs> And I stand corrected, and, and, and that's okay. So I digress. So I started continuing having my conversation with God and said, God, I don't know how to do this. I, I, I'm, I'm not Ivy from um, Royal UK Sussex, I believe. She's incredible, this woman. I mean, like, oh, my God. It's like watching her show, you feel like, okay, um, she's British, and it's like she's an historian. She's 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 everything. And then you go to um, Ms. V, who I think that has the most incredible voice. Um, I haven't heard from her, you know, in a while, but she is like, she, she knows what she's doing. And you have um, facts and two cents, and then what about? barren and it's like I want to be like them I want to be I want to be them I want to be them I want to be them I want to, I, you know God please why can I be them because I can't not do this and then of course I wait for an answer and this is what he says to me this this will save you stop comparing yourself to other people. You're only on this planet to be you, not someone else's imitation of you. I had to learn that the hard way on the air live, anchoring the news. One night in my 20s, when I first started broadcasting, I was 19, moved to an anchor by the time I was 20, and I was just pretending to be Barbara Walker, Walters. I was just trying to talk like Barbara, act like Barbara, Barbara hold my legs like Barbara. Um, 
and I was on the air and I hadn't read the copy fully and I called Canada, Canada. And <laughs> I did that on the air. I cracked myself up because I thought Barbara would never call Canada, Canada. <laughs> and that little breakthrough, that little crack, that little moment that I stopped pretending allowed the real me to come through. Your life journey is about learning to become more of who you are and fulfilling the highest, truest expression of yourself as a human being. That's why you're here. Of course, I had to find the answer on YouTube. No, that's just God using the, the algorithms now. <laughs> <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, like you said, Lady Sussex, I think you said this last week, and we'll probably just keep saying this every week, is that we're not here doing this service to preach. We're not here to convert anyone. We each have our own respective beliefs. And what the Sussex Sunday service is about, it's it's about supporting Harry and Meghan and the work that they do and the countless people who depend on that work because that's really what it is. It's It's not just Harry and Meghan. It's the fact that it is so much bigger than Harry and Meghan. Absolutely, absolutely. So I said, okay, God, but I may not get it right. <laughs> and of course, he's, he, he says nothing. Silence, guys. So Sussex Squad and everyone else who may be listening, please pray for me that I get it right. And if I don't, I am open to be informed let me know when I get it wrong. It's okay. It's all love here. So, I think we should get the show started. So, Charles, George, the service today, and, and of course, Sussex Red Nation. The service today is, it's, it's going to be interesting, if I may say so. We are going to deal with the meaning of words. What is words? W-O-R-D-S. What is the meaning of it? So, what, what is words? Well, like we always like to do when having a, a, a critical discussion or an analysis of what's what's going on, it's important to know that we're even speaking the same language. And so when it comes to word, the word word, it's a bit meta this time, but that, that word, when you look it up in terms of the definition, it has a whole number of different uses. Um, it can be a single distinct meaningful element of speech or writing. It can be a conceptual unit of language which has inflected and variant forms. It is even the smallest amount. I like that. I like that expression of it. It is even the smallest amount of something spoken or written. It can be a command, a password, a signal. It can be, there's, I mean, if you go and look at it, spend some time, you can go down a rabbit hole. There's a lot of meanings of the word word. And if you go back to the etymology, it goes back to the Germanic. We have to thank the Germans for it. And, um, then it came through from the English side and, and, and Dutch and it's got all of, all of that going on. So <clears throat> it's a, it's an interesting word when it comes to its actual etymology, the word word, but what's even more interesting 
uh, at least for me personally, is when you look at the word word uh, from a biblical context. And I think everyone will know exactly what passage I'm referring to when they say, think of the, the most famous Bible verse about about word. What is it that you guys think of? Lady Sussex and Charles. Hmm. Uh, is it book up John? Yep. Well, what's the, what's the, what's the verse though? I think you're cheating with the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> Busted. Me out. I'm oh telling you. God. On the street. So <laughs> okay, Charles, you, you take this one. Come on. Yes. So it is actually the book of John. Uh, and the verse goes, and I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but this is basically what it is that I remember. So in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was, um, he was with God in the beginning through him. All things were made without him. Nothing was made that he has been made in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Exactly. So that is Book of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. So that is the very beginning when, when John sets out writing his gospel. This is what he starts with. He starts with uh, this sentence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So they, they are synonymous, according to John. The Word is God. And then he goes on to say, he was God in the beginning, and through him, so through Word, all things were made. And nothing that has been made was made without that word. And it goes on and on, and we can talk about even more through all of that. But the 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 interesting thing comes when you really look at how John actually wrote this in the first place, because he was not writing in English. He was not writing using the, the vernacular that we have today when we look at the gospel. John wrote his gospel in Greek. And the word that he actually used in Greek was the word logos, and the word logos does not simply mean word, as I just described earlier, in terms of how we think about the definition of word as the smallest unit conceptual of conceptual unit of language. But the word logos, the Greek word logos, actually has a number of meanings. It is, in part, a word as it relates to communication, but it is on top of that, it is discourse, and it is reason, specifically. Logos is how we get the word that we use today of logic. And so... What John is in effect saying is that, and it, it's <laughs> some might might call it a hot take, but what John's saying is that God is actually reason. God is actually the power of logic, and that logic, that reason, that sort of uh, word in action, that reasoned discourse, is what actually created life. What actually created things, and we can go down a whole. We'll have to do a whole separate service about. Okay, how do you take that in the context of the book Spare <laughs> and and what that's creating? Because that is reason to discourse applied. Um, but when thinking about that word and thinking about how we understand its role in society today, the, the words themselves, is that even as far back as writing the Bible, it has this connotation. It has, when it is not simply vain words, but when it is reason to discourse, it has incredible power. Sure. And so I think just overall, when you start thinking about it, the the interesting point of 
of the whole thing for me anyways, that I, I do like history. So, and when you start looking into the history of words and kind of where it came from, what it's really about, um, what is, what is its true meaning and value to society? Um, that just where it gets really interesting to me. So you can go back and say that, okay, well, look, what, what significant has written words specifically actually had on civilization? And you could actually make the argument. A lot of people say, okay, well, it's farming. A lot of people say that it's actually when people actually decided to stay in one place and then that's actually the birth of civilization. I think a lot of it actually goes back actually to the written word as well, because that's actually when you can start passing through stories. That's actually when you can actually have history and culture that's actually passed on um, through more than just one generation. It's when you begin history. And so that's always just kind of really fascinated me. And then when you start looking at it in terms of kind of our current context, how important that's actually has been, uh, you don't actually have to go very far. It's really the English language actually can really probably is the best um, use case in terms of how powerful the, the written word has become. And a lot of that is just, you know, really how prevalent English is, um, you know, not to kind of get down into a rabbit hole, but we actually just for the other job that we have, you know, we actually were in a conversation in an international conference and there was people from all over the world, but the language that was used in that conference was actually English, even though that was multicultural it was actually about a completely different country. But because English was so pervasive, everyone decided that that's actually the best language to use for that particular conference. And it goes back, actually, the reason why that is and why English is so prevalent is that it goes back, actually, to 1066. So when you start thinking about 1066 and kind of where that all came from, it's actually the fact that England, uh, William the Conqueror actually invaded England. So he was coming from Normandy, and it was a Norman invasion that came from France. And what happened is that English was so powerful, even though there was an invading army from France— Usually when that happens, basically the language of the invading army and the successful army actually kind of just takes over. But the culture and the language are so pervasive that it actually decided to stick and blend. And because of this blend of language between the Norman and what's happened with the English, what ends up happening is the fact that we actually get an even richer language. And so now what we end up actually having is that um, the English language actually has around almost a quarter of a million words. That's a rough count just in terms of, okay, well, you know, how many words happen to be in the English uh, vocabulary and language right now? And that's almost double the nearest other romance language. And because of that just sheer volume um, of words, what that actually allows us to be is that actually allows us to be more expressive. It allows the flexibility to be able to kind of, you know, mean different things to, to different kinds of people. And I think that's actually one of the reasons why actually it's so widespread is because people find it very easy in order to kind of articulate kind of what it is they're really trying to mean. And, you know, and then obviously what you also have is the fact that England went over and took over so many different countries and obviously how that kind of spread. And then that really kind of fueled the fire in terms of kind of how the English language spread around the world is because obviously kind of what happened with the Commonwealth. So all of these things and kind of happenstance items kind of came across and then here we are today. But the reason why that's kind of important in the context of this conversation that we're having is the power of words. Hmm, absolutely. And the power of words in terms of how that relates back to the current establishment and how they use those words to their own end. And they don't 
they no longer really give the importance in terms of what those words actually do and what they mean and how it affects society and how it actually divides and can divide society. And that's kind of where we are right now is that you have this tabloid media who's now with us, who basically are using these words and are basically really kind of taking ownership over the kind of the discourse. And then as a real, and as a result of them basically kind of taking ownership of in terms of what are people are saying these days, they basically gives them the platform to spread all this misinformation. The definition of it, now that we get the definition of the words, but seeing people using them, how they using them, the effect of words. Can you guys talk about that, please? Well, I think that's that's one of the things that is why it's interesting for us to take a step back and look at the history of it and look at the, the real definition um, and understand the the power of words because it feels like it is something that is often overlooked today uh, in today's world. I think that it's it feels like it is overlooked frequently on a, an interpersonal basis just in terms of how we communicate with each other and how much of an impact we can have on the people in our immediate surroundings just by the words that we use and, and how we how we talk to each other. But it isn't just something that exists solely on the personal level. It is something that it exists, uh, and especially for those who are given platforms uh, to speak from, words have a tremendous impact on the very nature of the society that we live in and how we can go about our daily lives and whether or not we move society forward and we progress toward a, a better place or, or not. That is all hinging on how we use words and how people who are given platforms use words. I don't know. That, 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 that is where we are. I and mean, that's why we are here, right? Because when you're looking at what happened this week, you hear Dr. Shola have this threatened letter that she received. It is clear that this group of people are, are set on making examples of black voices like mine. This is a serious notice from National Action London. We are notifying you of our intention to kill you and your family. We do not consider this to be murder. We have guns and knives and are watching your house. We will be following you as you walk around your area. And the word that was used to threaten her, her family. And all of a sudden, I feel angry. I feel mad. I'm upset. And I didn't know what to do with the emotion. I didn't understand why it hurt so much. A member of our community, someone was out there fighting for our rights. Even I will even go as far as saying the right of the person that wrote this letter. How dare they? And how that left me. And the only way I could deal with that anger is to speak to God. 
I, I, I feel like I needed to pray. I needed to talk to him. I needed to say, God, please. If we're going to deal with that, I, I, you know, you have to show me the word that I need to say and how I need to feel about this subject. Then, of course, he did answer. And the way God answers to me, God, for um, um, God answered to me, guys, uh, Sussex, right? I think I, I mentioned that in, in the last but the last um, service. If you guys are just now joining us, um, you're hearing us for the first time. I tell the story that um, um, as a kid, because my mom goes to church all the time and I'll go to church with her, I enjoy going to church. And I always wanted to know this question. Okay, we pray. And for me, what I used to really pray a lot besides pray for, you know, my family and stuff like that. The next thing, it will be about my Bobbies because I was huge on Bobbies. And I was also um, huge on candy <laughs> and nice shoes. So my prayer always involved with Bobbies, candy, and shoes. And pretty dress, of course. So, and I believe I asked my aunt. It had to be my aunt because I can't think of anybody else. Um, so, how do I pray? How do I know God hears me? And how would I know when he answers my prayer? And then uh, my aunt saying, and yes, I believe it's my aunt. She said, well, I, I can't tell you whether or not God hear you. I know, I know God hears everybody's prayer. I cannot tell you when he hears your prayer. But this is what I can tell you. The way God will answer to you, to your prayer, it's going to be through something you possibly reading. And then you have this moment or something that you um, watching on TV and somebody having a conversation and and there's something in there that makes you feel a certain way or something that you are talking about or hearing and whatever that answer could come from there or even your friends. It could be, you know, sort of um, just a sign on the street. And those are the things that you need to look for. And then you know that, you know, this is God speaking to you. And, and really, guys, um, Sussex Squads, I've, I've used that. And I can tell you the miracle that happened in my life and continue happening in my life. The position that I find myself in, even doing this, this service. And so I'm having this conversation with him. And then, of course, because now I am on YouTube checking in and checking with people and see what everyone is doing. And then, of course, I come across this uh, philosopher, um, the woman philosopher, um, Seneca. I'm sure most of you know who I'm talking about. And I was reading 
what he said. Anger, if not restrained, is frequently more hurtful to us than the injury that provoked it. And I'm like, oh God, okay God, I, I think I got it. I continue my conversation with God and then I said, well, God, what is, what, what, what now? And I know what maybe you guys may think, and for those of you that's probably not really into God like that and who doesn't really quite get it and, and might say, well, Lady Sussex, of course, you're going to hear inspiring words if you are reading, you know, sort of philosophies and, and you're doing all these things and you're reading quote and everything. Of course, those things are quite inspiring. But does that mean that, you know, is God talking to you? I hear you. I get it. But I'm telling you, for me, that is the way I feel like God speak to me. Although I like all reading all these big books and, you know, doing all that. But there is something, something that I'm sure even you that who doesn't believe can feel like. Sometimes you hear somebody say something or unexpectedly that, you know, you read something. It makes you feel some kind of way. And you have these guts that tell you. Maybe you either should or shouldn't do this. Or something that guiding you, whatever that is. So for me, I interpret it as God speaking to me. Well, well, just to add to that, because I think it's actually, it's very on point. And for, to, to your point, the, the fact that there's maybe some people who maybe are skeptical or... Uh, have a different beliefs and and that which is totally fine, absolutely fine. totally fine. But I think this this story that I'm about to read about to share is it's kind of a joke story, but it's uh, very funny and it's it's very representative of what you're what you're saying right now. And so this is a this is a version that was recounted in Psychology Today on their website in actually back in 2009. <clears throat> so here's here's how it goes. It's very short. I'll be quick. A storm descends on a small town and the downpour soon turns into a flood. As the waters rise, the local preacher kneels in prayer on the church porch, surrounded by water. By and by, one of the townsfolk comes up the street in a canoe. He says, better get in, preacher. The waters are rising fast. And no, says the preacher, I have faith in the Lord. He will save me. Still, the waters rise. Now the preacher is up on the balcony, wringing his hands in supplication, when another guy zips up in a motorboat. He says, come on, preacher, we need to get you out of here. The levee is going to break any minute. Once again, the preacher is unmoved. I shall remain. The Lord will see me through. After a while, the levee breaks, and the flood rushes over the church until only the steeple remains above the water. The preacher is up there, clinging to the cross, when a helicopter descends out of the clouds and a state trooper calls down to him through a megaphone. Grab the ladder, preacher. This is your last chance. Once again, the preacher insists the Lord will deliver him. And, predictably, he drowns. A pious man, the preacher goes straight to heaven. After a while, he gets, he gets his time with God. He, he gets through the pearly gates. He goes over to God, and he says, he asks him, he says, Lord, I had unwavering faith in you. Why didn't you deliver me from that flood? God shakes his head. What did you want from me? I sent you two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> so all that to say, to yeah, your point, yeah, yeah. maybe the things that we see 
and the signs that we perceive there and the people around us there, maybe even in the algorithms showing us this short versus this short or whatever it is. It's always going to be in this world that we exist in, but that doesn't necessarily mean there isn't something moving it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I digress. Um, and thank you so much for this. Um, to get back to, to, to words, I'm not so sure what it is that I was looking to hear so I can start thinking about the show, the, 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 the service. Because there were so many things that was happening. My emotion was being affected by all the nonsense, all these words that people was putting out, out there. And I didn't know which direction really to go to. And then, of course, 3 a.m., this is the time. It's a, it's, a, it's a very special time for me. This is when I'm finished doing my work, you know, relax. It's quiet. And so I'm able to think. And it's also the time I often look and check with the squad and support everybody, listen to what's happening today, what are they talking about, and, you know, check and see if there's Harry and Meghan, again, is in the new and some nonsense and what's happening. So this is really a very special time for me. And I stumbled, not stumbled, because I, I, I know um, his show. It's um, Oren Johns, O-W-E-N, John's J O N E S podcast, and he's a he's a Sussex, um, you know, supporter. I don't know if he calls himself um, Squad Squaddies. I don't know if he's a part of the squad, but what I can tell you, he he support the cause, right? And I was listening to his podcast, um, his show on YouTube. Um, you guys should check it out. I will put it on the show note. And he had um, this interview. He featured this writer. I believe he's a journalist. And by the name of Mick Wright. Mick, M-I-C, Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. Right. Mick Wright. And uh, they were having this conversation. <laughs> Let me just play it for you. In the squads, of course. British media is the second most privileged at the national level industry of the country after medicine. It's supposed to be a pillar of democracy, but I think many would argue it's a pillar of the establishment. The one thing they don't like, and I speak as someone who's been in the British media for a very long time now, don't like privilege being mentioned when it comes to them. Now, I'm joined by who I can only describe as the piss boiler in chief, <laughs> Mick Wright, um, who does a very brilliant blog, uh, which I will, here we go, brokenbottleboy.substack.com, which gives a, keeps a watchful eye on the British media in ways that many people in the British media do not like. Um, and the reason he's particularly the piss boiler in chief um, at, at, at the current moment is he's done this map, which he will not be able to watch properly. Uh, I will put this in the description of the video and the podcast. 
uh, because it's just so big. And it is basically, it's the Nepo baby map of the British media. It shows like a load of journalists and who their fa- famous parents slash often grandpa- including grandparents, brothers, siblings, sisters, um, you name it. And it's a network basically of just how incestuous the British media is. Hello, Mick. Hello, how's it going? Why did you do it? Well, I did it because um, uh, New York Magazine in December last year did a did a thing about um, Hollywood Nepo babies, which then um, uh, usually quite often with the British media, what you'll have is follow on pieces from stuff. So there were loads of pieces in the British media about the New York Magazine Nepo babies piece, uh, and they and the, all those pieces focused on either the entertainment industry or lawyers or or politics or, or some bits of corporate life, but never mentioned. Uh, journalism. So the Times did a big article about it, not a mention of journalists. You go into the comments under there and the readers are going, well, hang on, what about Giles Corrin? And what about uh, Victoria Corrin Mitchell, who got her start writing a column in the Times when she was like 15? Like these, what about these things? And it was just clear to me, well, these aren't going to get mentioned. Even when Vice did an article about Nepo Babies, it covered entertainment Nepo Babies in the UK, but nothing about journalism. And the reason is pretty clear i mean i i used to work in um the more mainstream part of the british media and when i worked there there's no way i'd have been able to write about nepotism within it uh in the way i have done because as someone made a point uh, this after i put this map out oh well you never work in journalism again it was a massive amerta type thing like how dare you do that and of course i know you know in the past when you've mentioned it you just got a pile of abuse on you because people just don't like to talk about it and it isn't talked about. So that's why I did it. I mean, I should say, I can't go into too much detail, but they've repeatedly tried to have me fired over it, Nick. Yeah. Uh, pointing so out the go. privileged nature of the British media, all the kind of vast amounts of racism churned out by the British media industry. Yeah. They don't like it up them, is all I'm saying, and they will try and. Get I, I can't be fired because I've burnt all the bridges yeah. already. So there are, there's no more bridges to burn. I, I just live on a burning bridge instead. Um, so, Mick, why does it matter? Well, I think I, I think it matters because that um, people don't actually know about this. People sort of make an assumption that they do that they kind of know a bit about it. But uh, part of the response from this is so many people who um, might patronizingly be called civilians by people who are within the media don't actually know the extent of this. You know, there are a lot of people who do things like conceal who their parents are by changing their name or or by just never talking about it. And it matters because um, I'm not saying that everyone on this map is none of them are talented or none of them are capable. None of them could have been journalists without their without the influence of their parents or their uncles or great grandparents or grandparents. But what I am saying is that it has an effect on who can get into the industry if there are so many people whose families uh, have that effect you know um it was talking to someone earlier who was told oh this person was uh, nearly fired but their per- but their family member is so important they can't be fired that person's still working in the british media uh you know in a prominent position they should have been fired but they weren't because uh, their influence is too strong so it matters because this is an underlying structure going on in the media and the media matters more than other industries because it has a an outsized effect on the way society works and the conversations we have and what voices are listened to that's why it matters and it's so interesting as well to see people in our industry who haven't benefited from it still leaping in front to defend people who have benefited from it after i listened to the interview that he was having with uh, uh, mick 
I was left feeling something like I needed to think about what I just heard. But I also know that, wait a minute, this is not the first time I hear this. I've heard it from Baron and so many shows he has done. Then I'm like, okay, God, I guess, I guess I'm getting something. I guess that's what I'm going to need to talk about. But then I'm like, okay, I need Baron clip. And I'm like, oh boy, Baron done so many shows. It's not like there are the headlines. So how am I going to do this? How am I going to get it? Am I, oh my God, is that mean I'm going to have to sort you know, go back and maybe the last two months and watching and listening to each, to, I, God, please help me here. Help me here. And then this happened. It was insane, guy. This happened. Just showed up in your feed. Should no, but I was actually watching him. I was watching his show. It was a new one. Yeah, it was oh, wow. a new show like two days ago, which we're gonna put. You know, like it. It, it almost feel like the conversation that he was having, the stuff that he was talking about, like didn't quite really. I did. The man is brilliant, but it's. I feel like. It's almost like come out of nowhere. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect he was going to go that route. And then here it is. So I'll let you guys listen to what he said. Something that he had said in so many shows before. And I encourage you guys. Please pay attention when this man is talking. And sometimes I think it's worth going back and listening to the show. Because there's so much that we might be missing. So I'll let you guys hear. Um, what he had to say uh, about the same conversation. The socioeconomic background of the journalist, higher socioeconomic background, um, that's 84% of, of reporters, journalists, and 73% of the editors. Lower and middle socioeconomic background, very few, 16 and 27% respectfully. The narrow section of society dominates our media landscape. It has an adverse effect on democracy as well as our news values, which stories are told and how they are told and what's deemed newsworthy and what isn't. I saw the damaging effects of this in my own country. So Basit Mahmoud is explaining here, and I've shared this before, why the British tabloid media is so dangerous and what makes them so uh, one-sided in their reporting. In their reporting, It's because they themselves, and of course this term public school, in America public school means that you go to a tax-funded school, but in the UK public school is a private school that was so exclusive that it opened up its doors to other wealthy kids. And that's why they call it public school. Now that's my best explanation of it. So when you hear that most of the Tories have gone to public school, that's what they're talking about. 
public school means that if they weren't in government or if they are in government, they would or may have come from the same background as that 84% and that 73%, just like Boris Johnson, who was a news editor and writer before he became a politician. So I started thinking about those two words, trust fund and nepotism. So I'm going to ask you to Charles and Josh, when you hear those two words, specifically trust fund, trust fund babies, what is the first thing that come into your mind? Wall Street bros. <laughs> what about you? Pain in the ass. <laughs> I don't know. Come on, guys. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is a service. This is God service. It's a different kind of service. Yeah. So, Someone annoying. Mm-hmm. But if you were to think about trust fund babies, what would that? What, what would be the first place your mind would go to? I think the where my mind goes for both of the words together is something that seems. Um, Maybe we're starting to pay more attention to it. Maybe not enough yet. But the word that comes to my mind, the phrase that comes to my mind is generational wealth. Mm-hmm. Okay. Similar. I actually go back to um, – and I think it just goes back to kind of the power that they have over me specifically um, that I kind of – I take on and I, I have an active interest in but is, uh, is political. So when I start hearing like trust fund baby is it's basically just means to me, to your point, is that generational wealth, but it's past wealth. To me, it actually means generational power. And that always just kind of when I think of, you know, that kind of power, I always just get back to, okay, well, politically and how they're basically are able to kind of, um, you know, invade our institutions and kind of run our institutions. Hmm. Interesting for me. Oh, God. I'm sorry to say this. When I hear trust fund, specifically trust fund babies, my my mind goes into a very negative place. And I know it's negative because I think of Paul brats, people that did not work for what they now on. Someone did it for them. And then they are here to just waste it and don't care about it. And don't know what to do with it. Like for an example, if you think about um, the new prince of wealth, right? Would you guys consider him as a trust fund because he's inherited this massive wealth? But did he work for it? What did he do for it? I think he's he, he's the literal definition of it, I think. Okay. And so you started thinking, at least for me, this is how the show started developing itself. And I started having questions. I started questioning those two words, right? Nepotism, trust fund, trust fund babies, 
and you're looking at it in the lens of how I'm looking at it, undeserved, people that didn't work for, for it. People are disconnected. That's completely disconnected. So the question that I have now, is that what our problem is? Are we in a place now where the media and the people that, you know, we look forward to information, not all of them, of course, it's coming from a bunch of just fun babies. I think so. I think when, well, first of all, I think just getting back to what George mentioned earlier, just as he quickly interjected, is, you know, they just jump in, right? I mean, it, it, it's, it's, I think it is kind of the root of the issue because they are so disconnected from everything. So when you're in any kind of, any kind of society, it can be in anything, but when you are, when you don't have perspective, it limits what you're able to understand. And also I think very importantly, the empathy that you can feel for others who are not in your same circle. And I think that's truly is the problem that we're facing today because there are too many people who are in power that don't have an understanding of the people that they're supposed to represent and the livelihood and the lives that they have. And when you don't necessarily understand kind of where they're coming from, when you don't share their perspective or even have a, a general understanding of it, how could you possibly try and solve the problems that they face? And or even try and speak on their behalf if you're the media. So the, the, this, there's a lot that's inherent in those problems. And I think that's one of the main reasons why, you know, the whole, the whole point of actually being able to have a system of government that you go through and you basically have limits on the term is so you don't confine yourself to one person's perspective. And I think we have to think broader than that when we move forward is saying that, okay, well, look, it's important that we actually integrate our leaders to make sure that they actually bring us the, the, the broadest view of perspectives to be able to represent who they are actually supposed to represent in the first place. And when you get into this point where we are right now, when you basically have the nepotism, which is a problem of itself, but when you combine that with the fact that they actually are these trust fund babies and that they have all the support, they have basically, you know, all the money that they need. They have basically all the, um, the, the advancements and network that they want in order to kind of make sure their life is going to go on the nice straight and narrow and be successful when you're already inherent and have all those advantages towards you how could you possibly understand and be able to communicate to people who don't share any of those same kind of values or the, that same kind of upbringing the fact is i mean it's very easy to look down on your nose and say that well i made it so why can't you pick yourself up because they don't even understand the struggle to get there in the first place they're literally not even aware that a life like that is even possible. So if you don't share that kind of understanding, I think you get in a real trouble real quick because you just completely isolate yourselves from, from everything else. So I think that's, I think that's honestly exactly right. I think it is the, the fact that there's a, a disconnect from reality for the vast majority of people for those who have their lives structured by some form of nepotism, 
or by some form of what we can broadly refer to as trust fund, which can maybe just also refer to generational wealth. And the thing is, like you were just saying, so many people immediately go to how that's a problem specifically for politicians because they're looking very closely at the actual mechanics of the literal mechanics of, of power as it relates to the, the governance of a society. And yes, it is important in that context, but it is perhaps even more important in this context of the press. And that's why we're talking about the words today, about the power of words. And if you go back and you look at history, because this is it's not it's not necessarily a new problem either. This is something that has been building for quite some time. I mean, the press is referred to as the fourth estate. And that's I mean, there's there's different opinions on what the first three estates are, whether it's from the uh, the French Revolution perspective of you've got the, the the clergy, the nobility and the commoners or whether it's in, in Parliament in, in Great Britain that being different, whatever it is, the idea is that there is still this entire sort of force that is the press that warrants being called its own entity. <clears throat> and if, again, you go back and, and you look at uh, the history of it, and you, you look up this fourth estate and you, you t see about the people that have written it, you got the, the father of, of modern conservatism, Edmund Burke, but you've also got, uh, in 1891, you've got Oscar Wilde writing, uh, and, and I'll, I'll read what he actually wrote. He says, in old days... Men had the rack. Now they have the press. Uh, that's an improvement, certainly. But still, it is very bad and wrong and demoralizing. Somebody, was it Burke, called journalism the fourth estate. That was true at the time, no doubt. But at the present moment, it is the only estate. It has eaten up the other three. The Lord's temporal say nothing. The Lord's spiritual have nothing to say. And the House of Commons has nothing to say and says it. We are dominated by journalism. And so there is a very real reality of our world today, of how important and how powerful the news media is. And it goes back to the power of words themselves. And in terms of the challenges that we're facing today, it goes to exactly what Lady Sussex was just saying, that it is to the point of asking ourselves a question is this being caused by nepotism, by trust funds? And the thing is, I mean, I don't want everyone to think somehow if you work hard, parents, people that who choose to be parents, that who wants to be parents, it is very often you will hear them saying why they're working so hard. It's to make sure that, you know what, their kids can have a better life, a better situation than they do. And it's a commendable, right? And I'm okay with it. I'm okay to make it make way for your kids, your brother, for your sister, for for whoever. Why not? Right? I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem that you have. Have as much money that, you know, you don't even know what to do with it. You work hard for it, you know, sort of... A, it's fine. You want to pass it to your kids? Fine. Whatever it is that you know you do, I don't have a problem with that. It's not my place to tell people how much money they should have or not have and what they should do with their money and who they should pass their money to. Okay? But this is where I have a problem with nepotism. When it matters to me, 
when you are doing the inherited either work or being able to be put in a position to create work for yourself when you don't have the credential for it. Because I will want to know what is your credentials to do this work. When it's affecting me, people in my family, people around the world, people we depend on, when you hear garbage like that, I think there is a brilliant writer, a British writer, that says, um, oh God, Judge, could you read it? Mr. Orwell? Yes. Well, he said that every joke is a tiny revolution because it challenges the established order. That's right. And when you look at what he said, what they are putting out there, it's for me, it's a joke, right? It's a joke. And it's tried to establish something, but that's something, it's something that's hurting people. There's a callousness on the words that have been put out at the moment. And I'm thinking about all the great journalists that make so much of it possible. And I would like to believe people that will start networks, start it in a place where, because that you know what, they want to make sure they keep society moving, that they want to make sure things stay balanced and fair. That's my, that's my opinion. Hopefully. Even though I, I, I know what you just read just a minute ago. But I want to believe that's where it started. And at time, you could see the responsibility, especially when you looked at, you know, many of the media here. You know, they don't dare to just put things out there. They kind of like say, well, we have not checked it. Like, I feel like a lot of them do incredible work. You know, they put their life in danger for us. Right? And so... To see this now garbage, people taking this work, this work that is so precious, so powerful, and putting words like this in the paper day and day and day out. It's not like it's moth words. Like it's not like, okay, you know what? Um somebody says something and it, it looks even close to the truth. It's not even that. I don't know what's the point, what's the purpose of it. But it is affecting us. Is the media, part of the media, especially tabloid media, is being run by, by a trust fund baby? Maybe it is, maybe it's not. But I'm asking the question. Because it does not make sense to me. When you're looking at the people that would get to say this foul thing and they all somehow related to somebody the people that are sort of not doing much but yet getting so much credit like harry's brother williams when you looked at his wife getting credit for what and i can go on and on those so-called societies women and people that will support them and and stuff like that and that that hating Every day, and then we don't really have much to contribute. Well, I hate you. Oh, you don't like your mother. Oh, you don't like your mother. Oh, you don't want to be black. Oh my God. Uh, like, really? Come on now, people. 
I mean, I even see something like, you know, I mean, this is completely a love field. But this is the disgusting thing that they just put in our face. They have the nerve to put Princess Diana's picture and the same column, the same sort of page with this woman who now we're supposed to call queen and that I would not call her queen because what we were told that she is, she, she is queen consult, consult. I don't know how to say the word. Can you somebody help me here? Consult. That, that's what the queen said. That's what the queen would like us to refer as. But before it was like, you know what, from her husband, King Charles told us that, you know, she will never be queen, allegedly. That's what I heard. I'm, I'm, I don't know whether he did say that because I don't know. So I'm going to say allegedly. That's what, for based on what everybody's talking about, that he had promised that, you know, she will be, you know, princess, not queen. And then now she's queen consult. And now they try to make her be queen. How dare they? to compare Diana or put Diana in the same sort of page or, or, or statement or, or mention. Diana was something special, special to many people. Her legacy still with us to today. We felt it. What she has done in the AIDS front, what she has done in Africa with the Marlene, and so many things that women have done. She was beautiful. She was graceful. She was love. And love people. And one of the things that you know she left us. She said she wanted to be. She will never be queen. But she wants to be queen of heart. And she is the queen of our heart. The work that she has done. So I'm asking somebody to be comparing this woman. This woman. To her. And the statement that I. I, I, I it's just going to be on the screen. I don't want to read it. I don't want. Like, like how, how? How? How you compare? What, what has she done? What? what who is she? I don't have anything against a woman. I don't have anything against a queen consort. I don't. I don't have anything. I, I, I don't know much about her besides, you know, her being a mistress, besides her get what she wanted. There's a lot of people that was out there that was, who becomes, you know, um, wise or, or sort of, you know, in, in, in that route or who've done that. I don't have anything against her per se. What I do have against her, it's what I hear Harry mentioned in his book. What I have against her, and not really specifically her, the people who dare to put her in that position for us to be that upset. Because the people that were supporting Harry right now, the people that were supporting Harry and Meghan right now were there when Diana was present. Many of them around the same age. So no, you are not going to make this woman compare to 
Diana, Princess Diana. You're not going to do that. She can't be compared where she doesn't compete. Do your thing. You you got her to be queen or she got herself to be queen. I don't know. I don't know how that whole thing works. I don't know. But let her be happy. Let her let her do her thing. You guys should do your thing. Leave Princess Diana alone. Leave Harry and Meghan alone. Just do your thing. You have nothing on Harry that you can try to tell us that we don't know before. You have nothing on Megan that we don't know before because both of them have lived their life from young age to present on screen. And we know we're not expecting them to be perfect. And no, we don't care that if they make a billion dollars, God bless them. If God bless them with a billion dollars, they want to make a We don't have any problem with that. We don't have a problem if her home wealth 14 million, 100 million, whatever it is that you know what, this is how God wanted it to be for them. Don't stop telling us how much the house costs. Stop telling us how much money that they make. How much money you making? How much money you making? I want to know that. You since you feel like the need that we need to know that. How much money you making? What does your house look like? So we're tired of the nonsense. But unfortunately, they are making money and they have people that was listening to them that's feeding on that hate. It's, I mean, that, that feeding on that hate, that fueling that hate, that is exactly what has led to these words that were said to Dr. Shola. Absolutely. The fact that that threat was made on her life. That is because of that. That's them putting that fuel on the fire. You know, when you looked at Megan, this incredible woman who been working so hard, doing so much in her life since the age of nine, and somehow they cannot live her alone. They constantly at her and say things that are just completely stupid. Oh, it's kind of like nep- nepotism. And and trust fund protects itself because you look look at look at on the outside of the 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 media itself. Look at, for example, what the uh, who's about to inherit the Cornwall estate. Exactly. What have they done? Exactly. What has he done? What has his wife done? They are in this position of privilege. They are given all of this opportunity to go out and do something with their lives. And they're given the complete free reign of the press that and how they the review it. But on the other hand, you've got Harry and Meghan who are actually not not taking that route, mm-hmm. who are going and working for themselves, and, and they get attacked as a result. Exactly. That's exactly my point here, right? I mean, when you looked at what, when you read Harry book and you hear what they have done to him, and I would like to believe that this man of privilege, this man that, you know, who sort of, until then, we think that was, who had all this amazing thing. And yet, here we are, somehow finding ourselves related to him in so many ways. At least some of us. Yeah, I mean, he he, he walked away from, and it's, you can never know, I mean, in speaking myself as a white man, there is always privilege that I'm going to have no matter what I do. 
and the same goes for Harry, and and probably even more because of the fact that he was born royal. But at the end of the day, he has he has given up a lot of that privilege. It's 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 insane. It is absolutely insane to see how people are treating that privilege that they have to right things that can impact people and should be able to impact people for the good and how they completely mistreated. And we, the young people, feeling a sense of hopeless where we don't know what to do because for it just doesn't make sense to us. The, the, the media used to have a sense at least for me, speaking, I'm speaking for myself. I feel like they used to have a sense of responsibility and accountability. But look how far they have fallen themselves. Look where they are falling. If you're looking at the, you know, sort of, I mean, I think, again, Barron did an incredible job showing this in his show. Look, look, look at the number. Look for yourself. It's it. Look what is happening. Where are the fathers? Where is the mothers that who, who who you know the people that they inherited this thing? Why are they not tell them this is not the way to go? You guys are not making the royals look good. You supposedly were less, right? You are not making them look good. If we try to protect them, we try to sort of protect the status quo. Well, we are doing a really bad job about it. We're actually destroying it with this garbage. Well, I think that's actually the interesting point because I think what they're trying to do is that they're trying to maintain the status quo. But the fact is, is that the typical game isn't working any longer. Because what you had in the old days is that you'd have, okay, the newspapers would do its thing. Then you had cable news and they would kind of do its thing. And it was incredibly effective. But what they didn't have in the past is the platform that we actually we're on now. There wasn't an entity like the Sussex squad. There weren't, it, there wasn't Twitter back in the day where people could actually call out their crap. And I think that's why it's so important that we're doing what we need to do here today. But am I naive, guys, to think that I feel like news used to be treated with care? I'm not saying here and there there's not, you know, there's propagandas and all this kind of thing. But I feel like, you know what, people take the work seriously. And so I often think, what do those journalists that work so hard that understand the magnitude of what they do especially the ones that you know what who goes and report on the wars and that had really paid the ultimate price with their life try to report us try to bring us like when you think when you think of Turkey and Serbia to you know sort of what's happening there, we depend on these people to just show us what is happening, let us know you know I mean how our family is doing it's what's happening when you think about um what we just well not quite completely gone, but 
all those illness, all those things that's happening. The the what's the virus that you what you're the pandemic, the pandemic uh, of uh, COVID. COVID. We depend on these people. We depend on when things falling apart, falling down. To actually go in hard, you know, sort of hard questions, just just fighting for us. And now we don't know what they stand for. I don't know what they stand for. People my age don't know what they stand for. We are just in a place where we are confused. We don't know what to do. Things is not making sense. We don't have anybody talking to us. It's almost like the growing up left the room. And so that's why I have to just hang on God. Hang on God and pray for light. Pray that God is listening. Pray that God is with us, part of everything that is happening. And so, this is the time that where I feel like a prayer needed. So, Sussex Red Nation, if it is the case that nepotism is the cause of what's happening right now, why are we having all these nonsense about Meghan and Harry, then we are all in big trouble. I hope, like Harry said, Diana and the great Lord is protecting them. But we too need to pray for that protection and that help. Because this situation affects all of us. It is right now for many of us, especially people of color, a time of tremendous sorrow and fear, vulnerability. The feeling of being alone and being swept out of to sea, drowning in the night. I think there's actually a really fitting poem that actually sums up that sentiment quite well from Mary Stevenson. It's called Footprints in the, in the Sand. So the way that poem goes, and I think, I mean, it's, it's probably one of the most famous poems going. So I think most of you guys would probably recognize it. But... Here it is. So, one night I dreamed I was walking along the beach with the Lord. Many scenes from my life flashed across the sky. In each scene, I noticed footprints in the sand. Sometimes there were two sets of footprints. Others, there was only one. This bothered me because I noticed that during the low periods of my life, when I was suffering from anguish, sorrow, and defeat, I could only see one set of footprints. So I said to the Lord, You promised me, Lord, that if I followed you, you would walk with me always. But I have noticed that during the most trying periods of my life, there have been only one set of footprints in the sand. So why, when I needed you the most, you have not been there for me? And the Lord replied, The times when you have only seen one set of footprints is when I carried you. Amen, amen, amen. Word have incredible power. 
And we need to think about what is happening, not just to Harry and Meghan. Because how, how, how could we get here? For all the works that we have done and all of the work and sacrifice that our ancestors gave, this is where we find ourselves. And as we now closing Black History Month and look how far we have gone, but yet we must remember we are not alone. We may be exhausted. We must press on. And we need support from one another and from God. Although sometimes it seems like you are all alone, I am. I am with you always. As long as
I wasn't there for it. I wasn't there to see it. And maybe thank God because I don't know if I would survive it. But I see the result of it. I see the result of it. There is progress. When you're looking at the woman rights, when you looked at now the LGBTQ rights, when you're looking at many more historically marginalized group, we have a long way to go, but there is progress. It would be a lie. It would be disingenuous to say there is no progress. And sometimes that is the problem. Because many of us able to see the progress and there's some of us that who doesn't really, it's not enough. And I don't think it will ever be enough until we have equality, true equality. When I think about what Black History Month means to me now, now that I feel like I'm aware of it, I feel like I'm conscious of it. What did it mean? What, what, what does it mean to me? And what does it mean to you? To see that, you know what, sometimes we are just happy to have the day off when it comes to Martin Luther King. When you think of all those great people that fight the fight, pay the ultimate price 
for us to have the life we have right now. The fact that I could be here, we could be here having this discussion. The fact that we can go places, we can live in certain space. We can, I mean, for God's sake, we have a black president. We, we, we live to see that. And many of them, no, you're not going to cry. That works so hard, then get to see it. We even have a woman of color enter the British monarchy, the thousand years old and probably further back on to this massive space. Yes, there is progress and there's a lot more. And I think what's hurting us sometimes is how we see it how we view it, how we looked at it. Because when you have certain people that will look like us, that will understand the struggle or see the, or maybe, maybe because racism sometimes affect people different way, right? Some people say like, why are you complaining? Why, why? it didn't affect you. It, it wasn't you that that happened to. We rather put a blind eye onto things because you know what? I'm comfortable. So why, why, why are you starting stuff? Right? I'm the good one. They're considering me to be the good one. So I'm going to get in on TV because they put me there and I'm going to do nothing but trashing, speaking ill of someone who's a part of our community. And you all know who I'm talking about. Nana, whatever her name is. And these are people like this that will stop progress. This is people like that make the other side think that, you know what? Well, look at her. She's on TV. She's telling the truth. Well, what are you guys all complaining about? You have a black president. A biracial president, you had a, a biracial princess now. Well, you know, you have black CEO, you black, you have black this, black that, and everything. What, what's the problem? Why are you complaining? Why? We don't understand. Yeah. For many of them, for real guys, they don't understand. It's the truth. They don't understand. Like we, people in our group, people, young people like us, we don't understand why it's happening, why we are getting killed on the street, left and right. Why are we being judged? Not because of what we have done, not because of our intelligence, not because of, you know, maybe bad things. No, we're not being judged by that. We are solely being judged by the color of our skin. We are getting killed left and right. A lot of nonsense death. We don't know. We don't have any leaders to speak to us, to explain to us what is happening to us. I get the point of what slavery was about. I even get myself to understand. I've done the research. I wasn't there for it. I didn't experience it. I, I can see the effect of it, but 
what it mainly was about, it was about economic, right? The fact is, is that, you know, we are now getting killed on the street, left and right. Not because of anything we've done, from what I can see. Or at least the ones that's been reported. And there's so many more that we don't know about. And we took on the street. We all, we, 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 we protest, we are screaming, we are yelling, we're doing all that. But at the end of it, I don't know why you hate me. I don't know why you hate people that looks like me. I need an answer. Because if it's not about economic now, so then what is it about? When you looked at a woman like Megan, who entered this space, worked hard, doing everything she could possibly done. We were led to believe that, you know what, somehow, you know, she's uppity and they're doing this, they're giving her this, they're giving her that. Now we find out that, you know what, she was supporting herself. She was actually working for free. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? She was working for free. With all her credentials, everything she was about, self-made, she was working for free. She had to pay for her own wedding dress. And we also hear that, you know, in some ways he was supporting the prince that, I mean, don't get me started with that one. Sorry, guys, this paper is falling down. This is, this is, I'm getting, you know, God, please. Okay, I need to come down. She was supporting him using her credit card. Make that make sense. So, here we are, asking questions. Try to make sense of it all. I looked at my niece, my nieces. We are a blended family. I mean, you could look at every each one of us here, even sitting here in the room. How do we talk to each other? Sometimes it feels like there is a silence because we don't understand. We really don't. It's just not making any sense. We should not have been afraid to go out. We should not have been afraid to go to the supermarket. We should not have been afraid to getting in a car. We should not have to be afraid for our children, for our loved ones, for our friends. Whether it's in school, whether it's the supermarket, the movie theater, the park. Where are we safe? Because we don't feel safe. For what? And it led me to now begin to ask the question, are we some sort of endangered species? Already they're calling us animals. But even that, I don't know, because most animals, if not all animals, have protections. 
Where is our protection? Because the people that are supposed to protect us, it's killing us. We are getting threats. And the media is not doing anything about it. Not enough. It's not just to report it. What is it that you're doing? I can't take it anymore. I can't take to see this woman, Dr. Chola. Chola, I'm sorry. It's been threatened like that with her family about why. Why you think it's okay to threat her and her family? Why do you think it's okay to threat Megan? Megan Markle. What has she done? I let you hear from her. And also, I think for people to really understand, you know, when you plant a seed that is so hateful, what it can grow into. I mean, just a couple days ago, I was going through the manual for our security team at home, and on one of the pages that I happened to flip to, it was about online monitoring. And they were like, if you see a tweet like this, please report it to head of security immediately. It just said, Megan just needs to die. Someone needs to kill her. Maybe it should be me. And he's just like, okay. That's like what's actually out in the world because of people creating hate. And I'm a mom. It's my real life. You know? And that's the piece when you see it and you go, you are making people want to kill me. It's not just a tabloid. It's not just some story. You are making me scared. Right? And like that night, to be up and down in the middle of the night, looking down my hallway, like, are we safe? Are the doors locked? Is security on? Is everything? That's real. Are my babies safe? And you've created it for what? Because you're bored or because it sells your papers? or it makes you feel better about your own life, it's real what you're doing. And that's the piece I don't think people fully understand. How could we now, living in the society that we are in right now, have all these challenges, all this incredible thing that is happening in terms of technology, where we need to be, because at the end of the day, I don't understand how you think having a white world sometime, some, somehow that will be good. And for me, it's like saying that, you know what? Well, you know, a world with no flowers and no, no, no animals, no nothing would be nice. We bring colors. We build these countries and because of us you get to enjoy it and continue to enjoy it because you need that free labor you need that labor that you know we provided most of us we continue making your countries great after all you call yourself great britain because of all the commonwealths right so please tell me tell me why are we afraid why we are continuously Hearing about people of color dying and specifically dark skinned people. 
it is happening to all people of color, Asian, and you could say, you know, but there is this thing with dark skin, or dark skin brothers and sisters that no one wants to really talk about. And we do need to talk about it. Why are they getting killed left and right? We are now not even safe, even in a bed. It used to be like, you know, at least, you know, I remember my mom will say that, you know what? Hey, you got to get home. You, you, you need to be home. No matter where she is in the world. It's like, you know, you have to be home. You have to be home at a certain time. One is that girl is not out late. You know, two is that, you know what? Hey, you know, I need you to be safe. You know, be home. But now we're not even safe at home. So where are we safe? And so what is the media? What is the people who, who, who've been giving this power? Those leaders, what are you guys going to do? Because we, the youth, the youngs, we want to know. We're tired being called stupid. We are tired being like we are not good for nothing. We are tired that you know, somehow we're taking things for granted. No, we're not. We've been asking questions. We've been asking you guys to talk to us. And you guys are not. I'm sorry I'm yelling, guys. But it's frustrating. Because I don't have an answer. I am at the place where I'm, I'm starting thinking about having kids. And do I want to bring a kid in this world? the way it is now because I barely know how to speak to my nieces, my nephews, even myself. I'm a very loving and very caring and very sort of, you know, the hate is not coming from us. It is not coming from us. I will let you, there, there, there is this, um, Beautiful young leader, Kimberly Johns, who went viral, I believe, two years ago, 2020. I would love for you guys to hear a few words from her and her viral videos. And then people want to talk about, well, there's plenty of people who pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and got it on their own. Why can't they do that? Let me explain to you something about economics in America. And I'm so glad that as a child, I got an opportunity to spend time at PUSH where they taught me this, is that we must never forget that economics was the reason that black people were brought to this country. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Do you understand that? That's what we came to do. We came to do the agricultural work in the South and the textile work in the North. Now, if I right now, if I right now decided that I wanted to play Monopoly with you and for 400 rounds of playing Monopoly, I didn't allow you to have any money. I didn't allow you to have anything on the board. I didn't allow for you to have anything. And then we played another 50 rounds of Monopoly and everything that you gained and you earned while you were playing that round of Monopoly was taken from you. That was Tulsa. That was Rosewood. There are those are places where we built black economic wealth, where we were self-sufficient, where we owned our stores, where we owned our property, and they burned them to the ground. So that's 450 years. So for 400 rounds of Monopoly, you don't get to play at all.
Not only do you not get to play, you have to play on the behalf of the person that you're playing against. You have to play and make money and earn wealth for them and then you have to turn it over to them. So then for 50 years, you finally get a little bit and you're allowed to play and every time that they don't like the way that you're playing or that you're catching up or that you're doing something to be self-sufficient, they burn your game. They burn your cards. They burn your Monopoly money. And then, finally, at the release and the onset of that, they allow you to play and they say, okay, now you catch up. Now, at this point, the only way you're going to catch up in the game is if the person shares the wealth, correct? But what if every time you share the wealth, then there's psychological warfare against you to say, oh, you're an equal opportunity higher. So if I played 400 rounds of Monopoly with you and I had to play and give you every dime that I made, and then for 50 years, every time that I played, I, if you didn't like what I did, you got to burn it like they did in Tulsa and like they did in Rosewood, how can you win? How can you win? You can't win. The game is fixed. So when they say, why do you burn down the community? Why do you burn down your own neighborhood? It's not ours. We don't own anything. We don't own anything. There is, Trevor Noah said it so beautifully last night. There's a social contract that we all have. That if you steal or if I steal, then the person who is the authority comes in and they fix the situation. But the person who fixes the situation is killing us. So the social contract is broken. And if the social contract is broken, why the f do I give a shit about burning the football hall of fame, about burning the target? You broke the contract when you killed us in the streets and didn't give up. You broke the contract when for 400 years we played your game and built your wealth. You broke the contract when we built our wealth again on our own by our bootstraps in Tulsa and you dropped bombs on us. When we built it in Rosewood and you came in and you slaughtered us. You broke the contract, so your target. Your Hall of Fame. As far as I'm concerned, they could burn this bitch to the ground. And it still wouldn't be enough. And they are lucky that what black people are looking for is equality and not revenge. Like she said, we on nothing. I'm not advocating on destroying people's property, but I understand the point that she was making. But we own nothing. Where is the fear is coming from? Where is the hate is coming from? So, this is how I am looking at. I'm looking at the Black History Month and see how far we have been and how far more we have to go. But the difference is now, I'm not so sure what the fight is about. I'm not so sure how to fight that fight. That's why we look at on leaders like uh, Harry and Meghan. We looked up to young leaders like that, that is doing beautiful work. And we looked for leaders like Dr. Shola. And many more. Even the squads here. Because the kind of nonsense that they talk about. The kind of nonsense that they try to put in our face. Make it seem like that, you know, somehow like, you know what? 
You see that today and then the next day is as though that that never happened. Coming at us. That we need to be present. We need to be able to be informed and educate. And, and there's, there's work to do. So we are asking for help here. We are asking to stop killing us. Challenging us. Care for us. Harvest what we have to offer. So, this is where I'll leave it. I know we usually will end the show with a prayer. But this time we're going to do something a little bit different. Because I think as we're closing Black History Month. I think it's we need to always find a way to remind ourselves. Why are we doing this work? Why are we putting ourselves out there? Why we must support our youth, our youngs, people, people that you know what, who just say enough. And I think I will leave you guys with Denzel Washington as he was receiving the FI Lifetime Awards. So I'm going to let you guys hear that. And then I will come back and say, we all say here, we'll say uh, happy Sundays and leave you guys to worship with us. I'm up here to say thank you to God for giving me this ability, for blessing me, for shaping me, for chastising me, for teaching me, for punishing me, for allowing me to be a vessel and touch people around the world. Small minds discuss other people. Gossip. Good minds discuss events. Great minds discuss ideas. I was Eleanor Roosevelt. I was also Pauletta's father, my father-in-law. He was a great man. He taught me so much about what being a man really is. I want to end the night with a short video that we recorded of Pauletta's father 30 years ago that my son, Malcolm, gave me an AFI graduate. Just a short 30-second uh, video, and this is what Pauletta's father had to say 30 years ago. We were put here for a reason. God created man, and God intends for us to love all mankind. And by being in a loving mood, caring for one another, that's our purpose for life. We should care for one another, and we should love one another. In this Twitter tweet, meme, mean world that we've created for our children, the least we can do is consider what we've done and think about the young people, the future, and individually, collectively do the best we can to try and turn this thing around. I blame no one. I look in the mirror. 
On the other side of it, what an opportunity we have, because tomorrow's the first day of the rest of our lives. So what an opportunity we have to practice what he preached. So guys, after hearing Denzel, his amazing words, we have to look at how we started the show. These words, what those words is doing to us, what they mean, who get to use them. We have to really think of all the great leaders, Martin Luther King and, and all of them that who have, who have paved the way for us to be in this moment, to be in what before that felt like progress, but now we have this force that's holding that progress to continue. We can go back. We won't go back. None of us can go back to the way it used to be. So we must continue fighting. We must continue, you know, pray God to straighten our voice. Pray for the strength. Lift up our leaders, our young leaders. Lift Harry and Megan because the work that they are doing on our behalf. Lift ourselves, each other. To continue be in that space where we can support them. To give them what they need to be able to do the work. It is important. It's more just a service. It's much more than just a show. It's our lives, guys. It's our children. It's our families. It's our brothers. It's our sisters. Because we can't go back to the way it used to be. So just to, and just to add to the prayers that Lady Sussex is just mentioning. One of the other things we wanted to take a moment to do today was to lift up some of the people who are kind enough to share with us in the comments about loved ones who had recently been lost. And that is, honestly, it's, uh, it's heartbreaking and it's humbling for that to be something that you can feel comfortable sharing because of last week's service. And it means so much to us that you did. And we just want you to know that we heard you and we've been thinking about you all week and we will continue to pray for you. Amen. So, I love you all. God bless you. Have a great Sunday afternoon, wherever you are or evening. And hopefully an amazing week. So I leave you with this amazing song. Worship with us. Watch the video all the way to the end. Let's pay tribute to all of the people that who is out there doing the work. I thank you. Remember, the way to go is with God and love or anything that you choose to believe in because at the end, love wins. 
Have a good day, guys. Happy Sunday. After this moment, I won't go back. Can't go back to the way it used to be. For your presence came and changed me.
because of what Jesus has done. All been forgiven.